0: Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, and can be found on page 978 in that Bible. Follow along with me as I read. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we're so thankful that we've got the uh, the spring kick- kickoff event going on after. We we'll pray that we would uh, just have good fellowship and have good fun. Uh, pray for the youth as we try to uh, uh, just attain funds for the the trip that they're going on. Pray for Jason as he brings us a message uh, that we would just hear that uh, the way that you intend us to this week. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Hey, you can grab a seat. So this is what um, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Tim Keller. This is what he would call a rich and famous section of scripture, a rich and famous passage. It means like it's like a celebrity. And so uh, when you think of celebrities, people who are famous to you, you probably already feel like you kind of know who they are, at least what uh, the images that have been portrayed uh, to you by, whether you get that from Fox News, or CNN, or MSNBC, or TMZ, wherever it comes from. It's probably Instagram Reels, or Tic Tac, or, or Toc or whatever it's called. Uh, but whatever you think of marriage, uh, you probably, it's probably more shaped by, if we're just being honest, it might be more shaped by our political view. It might be more shaped by the culture of the home that we grew up in, um, and we're prone to lay those perspectives across what we read in the Scripture. All of us are prone to do this. I am prone to do this. I'll give you an example. I, I still, and my wife is sitting like she's on the second row today, looking right at me. She looks beautiful, and lovely. And if I say anything that ain't right, I guarantee you she won't stand up and say anything because Paul said not to do that in, in one of the books of the Bible. <laughs> But she will look at me and you can look at her and you'll know if I'm fibbing. But I remember when we first got married and, uh, and I was going to work and I had my lunchbox and I got up and my lunchbox didn't have anything in it. And so I made a sandwich, went to work, and we did this for about a week. And finally I was like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm offended. She's like, what's the matter? I said, you, you don't get up and make my lunch before I go to work. She's like, I figure your legs work and your arms work. And you know where everything's at. And on, can of just be honest with you? I was like, well, my mom always made my dad's lunch. And she made my lunch before I went to school. And she was like, well, I, I feel nothing for that. you know." I, and, and honestly, that, so you, you are going to be prone, some of you, um, to oversimplify for the sake of preaching a sermon. Some of you are going to have more of a liberal perspective in the way that you see the world and the way that you see politics and that sort of thing, and, and that's okay. And you may be prone to read into this when we read into verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, more of a egalitarian mindset where this is mutual submission, that there's times that he leads and times that she leads and times that he follows and times that she follows. That is in a marriage. Mutual submission exists. It's in a church. It's in a marriage. But that's not what this is saying. It's not. It's not. When Paul says, let her submit to him, we're going to flesh that out a little bit. So don't leave yet. Don't leave till it's over. Don't throw any tomatoes or anything till it's over. Okay, save your email for later in the week, Um, but we'll get there. But that's not what this is about. This really is a buck stops here with somebody. Somebody needs to defer to the other in in a certain situation. And if that's the case, the husband needs to lead in a certain capacity and she needs to, as the wife, defer. If you have more of a conservative perspective, uh, you may be prone to read this through the lens of chauvinism. And while you may think, well, I'm not a chauvinist, well, well, functional chauvinism would look like this. It would look like that all the decisions, you, you would take all the nuance out of this passage and you would turn this principle, this wisdom principle, into a method, into a function for all decisions, that every decision that is made inside the marriage is made by the husband. He decides if we drive Chevy or Ford. He decides what we're going to eat for supper. He decides what the thermostat's going to be set at. He decides where the kids are going to go to school. He decides whether we go to the in-laws for Christmas or Thanksgiving or all that sort of stuff. And I do want to give a disclaimer to say that some of you are a bit more decisive and maybe a little bit more indecisive. And I'm going to say this in front of my wife and if it ain't fair, maybe she'll throw a Bible at me or something. But I would say that I'm very decisive and I would say that she can be indecisive. And I I would say that it's a gift to her if I decide what to eat, what we're doing, within reason. There's some things she's very, 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 very decisive about, but a lot of things she's not. That's not what I mean. I'm not talking about personality profiles and those who are a bit more decisive or indecisive, uh, but if you've built it around to where the husband has to decide everything, this is his home, his domain, we all serve and submit to him like he's God, that's chauvinism that and that that's not what this is so you can get over that perspective and get over the other perspective and what my hope is i hate this word i really do hate it because i think i think introverts have hijacked this word and they found a way to to not go to church with it (laughs) but it's deconstruction who's heard the phrase deconstruction i'm deconstructing my faith i'm deconstructing this or that you probably just don't like people but anyways but i'm none of you are deconstructing you're actually here i'm probably somebody's online they're going to re-youtube this and say mean things about me but that's okay Um, But to deconstruct the way that you think of the marriage, you need to construct it on biblical principles. So if we're going to construct it on biblical principles, then we're going to just pull what's in the Bible out and lay it across our marriage, if we have one. We're going to pull what's in the scripture and lay it across your marriage that you're aspiring to have, if you don't yet have one. Or maybe you don't aspire to that and you can just have some biblical literacy today. So the, the way that, that Ephesians 5:21, and we're going to cover verses 21 through 33, by the way, uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which gets into verse 22, which is wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All of that is in context. Like if you just pull this apart, which we have done for the sake of a sermon, but we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Ephesians, this has to tie back to verse 15 when Paul writes, there's a way that we operate, that we walk in the world as Christians He's writing to people who have been changed by the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's writing to people who have a capacity to confess their sins and to forgive the sins sinned against them. And we have a capacity to love people selflessly and in humility, all right? So he's he's writing in that way and says "There's there's an evil way to live, there's a foolish way to live, and there's a wise way to live. If you didn't catch the last couple sermons, you can go back and, you know, um, you, we're on Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts, that sort of stuff. Uh, we're on YouTube, Facebook, all that. You can get caught up to where we are. Um, but but well, the way we talk about wisdom, to oversimplify, is, is evil people will set traps for you to get you to fall down into the ditch with them. Foolish people are falling off the road and into the ditch and they grab onto you like somebody who's got a foot on the dock and a foot on the boat and it's, you know, whoop the feet are going apart and then they're like, help me, help me. And if you're wise, you're like, no, or we'll both get wet, you know, but a foolish person will pull you into the water with them. A wise person will help you get pulled up out of the ditch and a wise person stays out of the ditch in the way that they live their life. That's my gross oversimplification of that, but so there's a way to have an evil marriage, there's a way to have a foolish marriage, and there's a way to have a wise marriage, and that's what Paul is writing about. In the same way that, that Christ is the head of this body, so he's been talking about how we're one body with Jesus. He's our big brother. He's our king. He's God. But he became near us and like us, but without sin. And he's the head of this body called the church. Now, if you're like me and you read a lot of leadership stuff and you care about the business world and that sort of thing, I I do. But if you only think about that, you think of the head as being the CEO, pulled apart, separated, up above, superior to the inferior people that might work there. And that's not even true. A, A real good CEO would even say, I'm not superior, but I have a weight on me that's different than everybody else. I'm responsible for all of these people underneath my responsibility. In the same way that a dad or mom and dad even are supposed to rule and love and lead in the home with kids, in the same way that Christ, we're one body with Christ and he defers to the father and he's responsible to the father and accountable to the father, then he's responsible for us and accountable for us. What Paul's going to write and say, husbands, there's a weight that rests on your shoulders that's different than the weight that rests on the wife's shoulders. And so that's a way of loving and leading and following, yielding and deferring that you won't find in any other kind of relationship that you're going to have. So this isn't in context of the office. This isn't in context of your neighborhood. This isn't in context of men and women. This is in context of a marriage, specifically a godly marriage, uh, where there's there's love and leadership and accountability and responsibility. So when Paul writes and says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he was talking about, and, and it gets implicated for this week, it'll be uh, wives and husbands. And the next week, it'll be children and their parents. And then also for um, employers and employees. And so he's saying that there's a way God made the world where we defer to authority. When he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's not talking about mutual submission where sometimes you would submit to me because I'm smarter at algebra and, and I'll submit to you because you're smarter at English or whatever. That's true. That exists, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is in the same way in the Trinity where there's the Godhead, there's Father, Son, and Spirit. When Jesus comes, what did he say? Whose will did he come to do? The Father's. Is Jesus God? Absolutely. Jesus and God, I guess they could have had a standstill and had a face-off and like, whenever Jesus says, is there any way for this cup to pass from me, and God doesn't answer him, and he leaves that prayer unanswered, Jesus could have said, well, you know I'm God too. (laughs) I think there's another way, so I'm going to do it a different way. He doesn't do that. He says, I've come to do the will of the Father who has sent me, right? So Jesus is showing us, I'm God, Father's God, but I defer to the will of the Father. Holy Spirit shows up. What does he do? He empowers the work of Jesus. He empowers his ministry. The Holy Spirit only does the will of Jesus who's doing the will of the Father. There's a deference there. A, it's not a mutual submission. It's like, a, oh, they're the same. They have the, the, the same glory, but, but there's differing roles inside this trinity. And in the same way, Jesus went and told the apostles. Told it's my second sermon to preach today. Give me some grace. I'm getting tongue-tied here. And some conversations in between. <laughs> yeah, so Jesus takes the apostles, gathers them up and says, and fellows, I'm giving you authority. Anything you loose on earth, be loose in heaven. Anything you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Here's the keys to the kingdom. They had the same authority that Jesus had in the church, literally the same. Jesus said so. So apostles wrote books of the Bible. If, if the apostle Paul showed up today and wanted to preach, we would let him because he has an authority, a responsibility, an accountability that's weightier than what mine is as an elder and a pastor And so then as it works its way out in the church, the church has elders and elders lead and they make very, very few, very, very important decisions for the church. So here at Grace Point, we are an elder led church, but we're a staff ran church. So the elders don't walk into staff meetings and go, uh, well, here's how I want the schedule to go in kids ministry. we We don't do that. We shepherd, care for the flock, decide on doctrinal issues like we'll stand before Jesus and give an account for why we were a Baptist and why we planted churches with Acts 29 and the churches we planted or the churches that we failed to plant, the families that we did a good job caring for, the families that we got to say, man, we missed it on that. We just, we just missed it, and we hate that, and we'll, we'll have to do that. Like There's a way that weight sits on the whole congregation and all the covenant members of Grace Point, but there's a weight that sits on me and the fellas that's just different. That's why the author of Hebrews would write and say, don't make their work you know, wearisome. Don't wear those guys out. Follow well. Follow your leaders well. Because they got to walk in a room with Jesus and give an account in a way that you don't have to give an account. So let them lead with joy. You don't make sure they do a good job, but make sure they get to lead with joy. And so what Paul's writing about is in context of wisdom. So wisdom requires nuance. So this is a nuance issue. This is a hard issue. So, so let's get there. So this is not mutual submission. This is about authority. And I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of authority. You might think, respect my authority. I don't know if that's you and what area you grew up in. You may think of the John Mellen camp, like, I fight authority. Authority always wins. You may think of authority as somebody building a law around their preferences. I want to redeem the word authority. Okay, I wanna, I, we're going to use that word, but I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to redeem it like this. Authority is equal parts responsibility and accountability. Somebody, like the elders of a church, like the apostles to Jesus, like Jesus to the Father, somebody has to walk into a place and give an account. And what Paul is going to write and say, husbands and wives, you're not both going to go in that room and give an account for this marriage. There's a way that weight rests on your husband's shoulders that he's going to have to go answer to Jesus for some stuff in this marriage. So if that's the case, let's figure out how that needs to work itself out whenever it works itself. Out. This is leading and following in certain situations. Okay, so verse 22. Here's the command Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I just want to pause there and recognize he doesn't say women submit to men. He doesn't say, you know, when, when you clock in this week, you know, none of the women can lead because, you know, there's inferior to the superior men. It's not what he's saying. You hopefully picked your husband. And hopefully you picked a guy that if there ever was a time where you need to defer to him and trust him, even if you disagree with him, hopefully you had some say in this relationship and you mute, you know, you're like, I want in on this. I trust him. He's a guy that I could follow. Okay. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is an act of wisdom. This is an act, I'm sorry, an act of worship. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, and I know that that is a probably loaded word, because we live in a UFC world where men and even, I guess, women get inside an octagon and fight each other until someone taps out. Who, who's familiar? Who's, you know, any fans? Like, people watch that? Yeah. Okay. Somebody gets in a chokehold. It's called a submission move. And the only way that you get out of the fight is if you pass out or tap out because you submit. And I know some of you are like, oh, submission, yeah. Like, that's not what this needs to look like. All right? So let's redeem the word Submit. Think defer, think yield to, think trust, okay? So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now some of you are very literal and in our English language submitting to everything in the, to their husbands is gonna sound like chauvinism. Like, oh, he decides the thermostat. He decides the color of the car. He decides if if we're eating Olive Garden or Roadhouse. He decides when the kids go to bed. He decides if I work outside the home. He decides all these decisions. That's not what it means. I want you to think about the way we have the will of God. Last week, we talked about God's will. And God's will is not like trying to pick between the rom-com and the action movie on the Southwest flight when we first got Wi-Fi back in the day. That didn't even work, you know. This is like you get on Netflix or whatever platform you have and you have an exhaustive list of options and you spend 120 minutes trying to decide a movie and, and go to bed instead of watching an 120-minute movie, right? That's that's the way it works. Like we have this exhaustive way to live our life and make decisions inside life-giving boundaries called commandments. They're overly summarized in love God and love other people, okay? That's what they're summarized to so every decision we make is do we love someone well on the other side of this decision or would this be hating someone on the other side of this decision does this decision love god and so you like when it comes to vocation you have the cultural mandate you know it pretty well takes like drug dealer off the table all right there we go there's one we take that off the table but like do you want to weld do you want to do electricity do you want to start a business do you want to be a stay home mom or do you want to be a ceo of a company uh, for the ladies, do you, you know, do you want to build roads? Do you want to be a cop? Do you want to be a fireman? Like, do you want to plant churches? Do you want to be a pastor? There's all kinds of ways to worship God, honor God with work. That's one exhaust, exhaustive list of options for you to build a career and build a life and just do things that would honor God and loves and serves the community well. Okay? In the same way that the husband ought to lead in such a way that there's life-giving rails, and we'll get there and flesh that out, but this is supposed to be a gift in the context of marriage between husbands and wives. So wives, if we're going to require you by the commandment of Scripture to follow strong, let's define it. Let's decide what it is and what it isn't, all right? The first thing that it is not when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands, this is not about superior and inferior, this is not saying because men were made first, they're superior to women, and women are inferior to men. They're incapable of making the wise decisions. No, like, I'm, like, I'm literally alive today because of my wife. Like, literally, okay? Uh, all I need is Jesus, my wife, and my CPAP machine, and I'll be fine, you know? But I didn't know I needed the thing, because Carrie's like, hey, you're dying at night. I'm like, I am not. I'm sleeping just fine. She's like, no, you're not. It's like, here's video evidence. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I moving like that? What? I'm dying every night. Why haven't you told me? She's like, I've been telling you for months. Like, literally, like, like I wouldn't go, well, you are inferior. I think your phone is a scam. I'm smarter. Like, that's stupid. She has intel and wisdom. She's not inferior to me, okay? This is not about men and women. This isn't saying that, well, women do what men say. It's not true. It's not a man's world. It's Christ's world, and we all have unique roles that he's given us. This is not about temperance or agreeableness. like So for example, you may have, and I gave you an example of this, you may be a very decisive man, husband, with an indecisive uh, wife, and she may defer to you in a lot of decisions and, and don't be deceived in that you're doing what this says just because you picked your steak and you eat it medium rare because that's the way that you like it. And and also, if you are kind of an indecisive fella and married to a decisive wife, and maybe she is making a lot of decisions in the house, that's still inside the rails of leadership, as long as you're leading in the capacity that Paul is going to command you to lead. So this is not about temperament. This isn't about your personality profile and your um, Enneagram number, if you believe in that thing. This is not saying that wives never lead in any capacity. There are times that she's smarter than you, bro, and you should do what she says. There's there's times that there is such a thing as mutual submission. That's not the context of this passage. but There are times where she has wisdom that's good for you and your relationship, and she can speak truth into your life, and it it helps you. And this also is not a method. It's a biblical principle that requires wisdom. I want you to think about wisdom principles. Uh, if, If you're an employer, and you have somebody who... Um, steals from your company. does it require wisdom to know what to do next. No, it's easy. Can them. <laughs> they're fired. They stole from you, right? Right. Okay. 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 All right. You got an open position. You've created a new position at your company. It's time to promote someone, and you got to pick somebody. And they're all pretty. They're all high capacity. People, it's like staff here and volunteers here. They're awesome people doing a great job. Now, does that require wisdom? Yeah, this isn't a right or wrong issue. It's a wisdom issue. I want you to think about moderation. The Bible says don't be a glutton, don't be a drunkard. It doesn't say never eat mashed potatoes and never consume any alcohol whatsoever. There are people who are teetotalers. I understand the alcohol one. I don't understand the mashed potatoes one. You're just missing out, okay? (laughs) What does it require? Wisdom. What does wisdom require? Self-awareness knowing your limits, you know, um, listening to others who speak into your life. Very much of Christianity is wisdom and nuance and not just rules to say yes or no. And that's what this is. Paul is not giving you a method that says man makes all the decisions in the marriage. This is saying that this is about deference. This is a biblical principle, not a method. It lays across all cultural context. And the reason why is because it's a principle, not a method. And this is about following. There is a situation in which wives are going to need to follow their husband, defer to their husband, yield to their husband, submit to their husband, we will use that word, who should be doing all of those same things with Jesus when there is a standstill in life. This has happened two or three times to me and Carrie. This will happen a handful of times in your life, maybe more. I don't want to under prom- or overpromise and underdeliver here. But there are going to come times where you're trying to figure out, I want to go left, you want to go right. I don't know where you're coming from on this. I don't see eye to eye with you. We're locked up. We're wadded up. We need to, we keep delaying this decision. We got to pull the trigger on this decision. Maybe it's a move. Maybe you're figuring out, oh man, we've been in this church for years. I mean, not this church, but we've been in this church for years. And I, I'm just starting to learn some theology. I don't even know if I agree with this stuff. Like, are we going to change churches? Um, are we going to, what are we going to do? Are we going to homeschool our kids? Are we going to put them in public school? Like, uh, how much new? How much is the news setting the mood in our family? Like, there's, there's going to come a couple of times when it's going to be just a wisdom issue. You're going to need to move forward and make a decision. And... She's going to disagree with what you want to do, but because she loves you and trusts you and sees you modeling this humility and love, she's going to say, I trust you with this decision. You're going to go stand before Jesus and give an account for what we do with this. I love you. I trust you. You decide. And you may even have to disagree and commit, but you trust him with that decision. Not because he's smarter than you, not because he's more awesome than you, you know, like you're attractive, I'm not attractive. It's because he's accountable to God for that. So let him have that decision. It's his to make. And he's going to go stand before Jesus for it. So again, this isn't about the husband deciding the meals, the vacations, the budget. This isn't giving the husband license to build laws around his preferences. If he does that, he doesn't understand what we are about to read. This is about the husband having to be courageous and love his wife well if a blind spot should ever come up in the relationship and he has perspective on it or if life decisions need to be made to better align the marriage into health and vibrancy of life. There's, there, there are gonna come times, and this, is, this has happened for me as well, but there may come a time when you have to speak husbands into your wife's life and go, you give your ear to that friend. I know y'all went to school together. I know she even says she's a Christian, but man, it seems like your soul is so poisoned when you spend time together. And I'm not saying she's horrible. I'm not saying she's not redeemable, but I'm saying we gotta mute her voice in our relationship or his. Maybe you, you, you've got a spouse who just seems to do what Jesus talked about, at least on one occasion, as someone who worships their family. They obey their family, and they're 40 years old. And you say, like, this is not good for us. It's not healthy for us. We need to honor our parents, but we need to worship and obey Jesus. And that's going to bring friction into this family. That may mean we do holidays different. That may do, mean we do vacations different. But if we're going to love Jesus, worship him, honor family, but love one another will you follow me in this decision? So 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Keller gives a good example. He says, this wouldn't be you go to buy a car and she wants a red car and you want a blue car and wives submit to your husbands so you get the blue car because that's what you want. If you read this and know this, then you like die for her and she gets, you know, all the red cars she could ever dare dream of having, you know, if you read this right. So uh, how does Christ love the church? How did he give himself up for her? He sanctifies her. And he's talking about the church here. Cleansing her by the washer of water with the word. Like he lowers himself for us. Jesus doesn't fight with us. He fights for us. He doesn't fight against us. He fights against our foes. He serves us. He serves us out of humility so that he might present the church, us, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So his life's work is to make sure Grace Point Church and other churches in our city, churches across the world, to make sure that they thrive, that they are making disciples, planning churches, lives are being changed because he's loving us well, changing us from one degree to the next. See, our great error in our culture is to think that marriage is about chemistry or to think that marriage is about uh, contract. We'd never say that out loud, but chemistry. We think about, I'm looking for someone that gives me the, the feels. I'm looking for someone that, that is super into me. And whenever we say, I love you for the first time, what we usually mean is, I love the way you make me feel about myself. You accept me. You care about me. I've wondered if I'm acceptable. I've wondered if anyone finds me attractive. I've wondered if anybody would ever desire me, and you do, and that makes me feel really good about me. Now, you may know me well enough to think that that's a joke, and I'm teeing one up, and we're all going to giggle. I don't mean it that way. That's the right first response to that. It's good to feel that. That's okay. Just, that's not love. It's not yet love. And so some of us are looking for chemistry, the way someone can make us feel. And I hope by God's grace that you still feel giggle. Baby, you make me giggle. You make me feel all the warm fuzzies. She ain't even looking at me. She don't care. She's like, yeah, I love you. Yeah. Anyway, she does. Read it here. She does. Thank you. Some of us are looking for contract. And what that means is, as long as you give me this, I'll give you this. And I don't know what your rules are. You wouldn't say them. You stood there between God and witnesses and said, in death to us part, sickness and health, you know, skinny and not so skinny, all that stuff. We said all that stuff. But what some of us really meant is, as long as you never wound me, as long as you never hurt me, as long as you, you know, we we don't, (laughs) as long as we don't gain in body mass and lose in tax bracket, I'm with you. Now, honestly, some of you would never say that, but you know good and well that that's what you're dwelling on. And you think, I'm not getting out of this relationship what I'm putting in. That's contract work. Contract work is I give you 40, 50 hours, you give me a paycheck. But this is covenant. See, we want someone who's gonna accept us as we are and never change us. You'd never ask me to give up Thanksgiving with my mom. You'd never ask me to do Christmas that way. You'd never ask me... To bend and change my perspective on the way life is. You're gonna accept me the way I am, and we're gonna share a bed. We're gonna share a budget. I don't remember what the other B was, but it was good. I said it at the 9 a.m. We're gonna share this house together, but you're not gonna change me. That is not the essence of marriage, not biblical marriage. We don't even relate to Jesus that way. We don't show up to Jesus and say, I believe in you. I'm with you. I'm loyal to you. I'll vote for you if you're in for president, but stay out my business, right? Jesus changes us from one degree of glory to the next. He doesn't look at us and say, you need to change for me to love you. He loves us. He accepts us. We break open his word. We start to find our sin. We confess it. We begin to change. And it's called sanctifying. He sanctifies her with the washing of the word. So if in that way that there's change because I'm married to Carrie and Carrie's married to me, our life should look different because we're in this covenant called marriage. Here's how covenant works. It's like wood glue and screws and nails binding us together. And the very first thing like, I don't want to do Christmas with your family or whatever it is like tries to pull us apart, but we're in covenant together. Just marriage itself keeps us together. We figure it out. Then we start to like, well, I'm voting this way. I'm voting this way. You know, you're red, blue, red, whatever. But covenant keeps us together and doesn't pull us apart. You wounded me. You said my meatloaf didn't taste like your mom's. And <laughs> covenant keeps us together. I'm being lighthearted. You fill in the blank with the death blows that you felt to your marriage and know that it's covenant that will keep you together. That's love. Love is sacrifice. It's not sentiment. And men, husbands, we're supposed to love in such a way, in the way that Jesus is accountable to his father for the church. We are accountable to Jesus for this relationship. Love is sacrifice. What should it look like? It should look like that she is the object of our life's work. That we are doing everything we can to, to, to let her thrive in the way Jesus wants the church to thrive. And so she should be home with you. She should be healthy with you, and she should be hoping with you. If you're a note taker, here they are, that she's home with you, that she's healthy with you, and that she's hoping with you. What do I mean by home with you? That this is a safe place. It's a very, very safe place that walls are dripping with grace, that she can share not just her body with you, but she can share her heart with you, that this is a safe place to dream about her career, that this is a safe place to say, I think I want to come home and be with the kids, that this is a safe place to say, you know, I have some critical thoughts you know, I, I, or insight. I have some life coaching for you, husband. You know, like, can she criticize you? Like, can she share her heart with you? Can you stay up till two in the morning or whatever it is and just hear her in a safe place for her to verbally process about all of life? Say the way she feels about your mom. Say the way she feels about your leadership. Like, it's a safe place to get feedback so that you can love and cherish her well. Is she able to trust you with her heart? Is she home with you? Okay? Is she healthy with you? And when I say healthy, I'm not talking about bmi and burpees and waistlines that stuff's important it matters i'm not knocking it when it comes up in the bible we'll talk about it i'm, I'm for it d- you know d- do not be deceived <laughs> i'm for that but that's not what i mean here's what i mean is she prone to find her identity and whether the kids love and appreciate the decisions she makes as she nurtures them and leads them is she finding her identity and success at work or the Instagram likes, like where is her heart prone to wander and how do you love her well and let her know, honey, honey, you are who Jesus says you are. You are fully accepted. You are fully forgiven. You don't need that job to be okay. You don't need those kids to like you to be okay. Heck, you don't even need me. You got Jesus. Like, is she healthy spiritually because of you? Is she able to repent of sin? Like, does she? are you able to lovingly confront her that she's not changing to get you off her back? Is she able to see the beauty of Christ as well as the weight of her sin? Is she healthy with you? And is she hoping with you? You say, bro, you already talked about like, career goals. What do you mean by hoping? Is she able to know the difference between happiness and joy because you're loving and leading in the capacity Paul's talking about? See, I just did this. I bought a truck uh, last week, so I got really happy. And the first of next month, I will not be so happy. (laughs) It's okay. I prepared my heart because I know the difference between happiness and joy. See, happiness is your kids went to bed on time. They slept all night and nobody peed in your bed. Happiness is you stepped on the scales and I don't even care if it's water weight. That thing went down. Like happiness always depends on what happens. It's supposed to. Happiness is when your president is in the White House. Happiness is when gas prices go down, unless you're know you in the gas business, I guess. But joy is I'm okay even when it's not okay. And I hope by God's grace, wives, that your husband is the kind of man that you're home with, that you're healthy with, and that you can hope with as you both long for the day Christ returns and brings heaven to earth. And you can see every day in light of that great day. And the reason that we defer, that wives defer to their husbands as they lead in that capacity is because as Jesus stands before the Father presenting his church, husbands will stand before Jesus and present this marriage. That's why some decisions defer to him because he's the one who's gonna go in the throne room of heaven for that audit. Verse 31, therefore, that's a conclusion and we're in the red zone and there's food waiting on us so I'm gonna wrap this up. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, you may read that and think intimately, physically, true, implications for that. But like you've made a new thing. You're not two individuals sharing a budget and sharing a bed and sharing a life together. You're, you become one. It's our money. It's our bed. These are our kids. This is our future. This is our sin to deal with. This is our hope to share together in Christ. And this mystery is profound. And he says, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Let, so, so what does he mean by the mystery? A mystery to you would be like a whodunit. It's like a, a novel that you're reading. And if you had enough of and wit, you could figure out the end of the book before you get there. That's not what Paul means. Paul's saying you'd have never figured this out if we didn't write it down in Ephesians and Holy Spirit didn't reveal it to us. That this is the essence and nature of marriage. It's the essence and nature of Christ and his church. So let each of you love his wife as himself. What he's saying is just as this head is connected to this body, you know, whatever you put in affects your whole body. You're one, you're connected, you're the same thing, not superior and inferior, the same, but differing in roles in this regard when these uh, life decisions come up, okay? So let each of you love your wife as described by Paul and let the wife see that she's able to respect her husband. What does he mean by that? What does that mean to be able to respect him? That, that hopefully by God's grace, he's the kind of man that you could disagree and commit. Say, I don't even agree with what you're doing. It feels unnatural to me. I'm nervous about this. I feel an anxiousness in my heart. And it leads to her joy. And it leads to her health. And it leads to her good. You're one body. How did the most powerful man in the world use his power? That's Jesus, by the way. I know some of you are like, Batman? Superman? Jesus. He became flesh like us, but without sin. He became tempted as we are in all the ways, but he never gave in to sin. He took responsibility for us. He didn't say like, well, I didn't dirty those dishes. You know, I didn't do that. He, he took responsibility for us, and he went in our place at the cross. He fought for us. He didn't fight with us. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm God. You're not, so, you know. He fought for us. He defeated our foes, Satan, sin, and death, and he raised from the dead to give us a thriving new life. We become one in him. I know I'm preaching to wives and husbands in this room, and some of you are single. Some of you desire marriage. Some of you don't at all, and that's okay. But whether you're married or not, all of us share in this one. All of us are called to follow in some capacity. Let us follow well and defer well as we would defer to Christ. And some of us are called to lead in certain capacities. And when we do, let us lead well with the good of the person or people that we're leading in mind. And let us all rejoice that because of Jesus, we're one in him. What does that mean? That his body is our body. His righteousness is our righteousness. Our forgiveness comes from his work. Our hope is in his resurrection. And one day he'll come again and right all that has gone so dang wrong.